All right, let's open up our Bibles. We're at 2 Samuel chapter 5 today. 2 Samuel chapter 5. If you do not have a Bible, please go over to our resource table, pick one up so you can follow along with us. Also, we do have some of the journal Bibles. What's a journal Bible, Joe? Thanks for asking. A journal Bible is, it's books in the Bible individually separated and in it. So it's got all of the scripture. And then with the scripture, it's got pages for you to take notes, to journal. So if you want one of those, we do have them over there on the resource table for 2 Samuel. If you're visiting, we are going through the book of 2 Samuel. So we are on week five of that. We are at chapter five of 2 Samuel. And we are going to read the passage as we go. But before we get started, let's pray and ask for God's blessing on our time. Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who reveals, that you are not distant from us, that you are not um, uh, uh, so like a way that we can't know you, that you don't communicate to us. So we thank you uh, for your word this day. We do pray, God, that you would open up our eyes so that we would behold wonderful things uh, from your law. And we pray that this time would be transformative as ultimately we see Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen. All right. Have you ever had an ideal, and I don't mean this when I say like perfect, like literally, but have you ever had a perfect day? Just one of those days or maybe seasons in your life where everything was kind of going well, very few complaints, uh, just, just a good time in your life. I mean, I've had those experiences. I've, I've seen others that have had those times, those moments. Uh, I've, I've seen it with wedding days uh, where the day was just, we, we use those descriptors, it was perfect. Where, you know, family and friends gathered, the weather was nice, the ceremony was beautiful, the after party uh, was exceptional. You couldn't have planned it any better. Did that, does that mean that the day was flawless and perfect? No, but it was just, it was, it was good. It was, it was ideal. Those are those times in our life where it seems out of the ordinary compared to our normal experience of life. When we can say things are perfect, it was poetry in motion. It was glorious. It was a work of art. It was heaven on earth. Well, as we get to chapter 5 in 2 Samuel, we're arriving at a point in the life of Israel where their circumstances are becoming more ideal than ever before. They're being led by God's chosen king. They are dwelling in unity with one another. They are walking close with the Lord. They are obeying his commands. It's really a glimpse of what is possible for the Lord's people, and a preview of what the future will be like. It's a little heaven on earth, and we're going to see that today in chapter 5. If you are taking notes and would like to see where we are going today, uh, we're breaking up the passage into two main sections. One, we're going to look at the chosen king. We're going to see David finally, after a long road, is going to be coronated and anointed. He's going to become king over all of Israel. And then secondly, we're going to see the conquering king. So not too long after he is brought on as king officially, 
he's going to have to battle against his, his biggest enemy, his nemesis, the Philistines. All right, so let's get started as we pick up at verse 1 and as we see the chosen king. Uh, one point I need to make as we look at chapter 5, it is not all chronological. And what I mean by that, this is a, this is a period of time in chapter 5 that we're looking at. So don't think of it like day 1, day 2, day 3, like boom, that was quick. No, I'm even with David, we're going to hear a lot about more wives and more concubines and more children. That doesn't happen overnight. So we're, we're supposed to see this chapter as kind of a, a, the glory years of David. But if you remember last week, the chapter ended, we, we saw the nation was divided, Israel's king was assassinated, and then David, Judah's king, began to function as the king that they needed. And right now in chapter 5, we see the formal transition over a period of time. Well, let's look at the preview of the king in verses 1 to 5. Read with me. It says, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought us in, in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be my shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. First thing we're supposed to see is that David is clearly to be seen as a type of Christ. He is a type of the anointed one. Now, mind you, this is a long day coming, as I've said. Remember how long he was on the run? Over a decade. Like, it seems like this was never going to happen. I mean, way back in 1 Samuel. You remember, they, they anointed David, and Samuel thought all of the brothers were the, the choice. It's got to be him. It's got to be him. And God said what to Samuel? The Lord does not look as man looks. The Lord looks at the outward appearance, or man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And we start seeing that David is going to be a man after God's own heart. But he makes that promise, you're going to be the king, but it's taken forever to get to this day. Have you ever received a package or a letter late. Now, I'm not talking about late, like you forgot you ordered it. I remember I ordered, it's become something you can get at the store now, but a while back, I ordered those special like three-prong lights for the garage. You, you plug it in, it, it makes the garage really bright. I ordered it. I did not order it. I, I did not know that I ordered it from China. And I ordered it, and about, and I'm not joking, it was really weird. Like six months later, one day there's a package on my, my, in my mail. I'm like, what is this? And I have no idea, and it, it, like half of it's not in English, and I open it up, and I'm like, man, I ordered that so long ago. That, I mean, that in, in some way, some capacity is how long, it, it, you don't even think this is ever going to happen, and it's finally happened David is now king. He's fulfilling God's promises. And I think we see that you can have faith even in the midst of opposition. But like I said, 
as we see this, I think it's really important for you and I to understand ultimately that David is a preview of Christ. He's a preview of the anointed one. You know, last week we saw a glimpse of that in the area of justice. Do you remember what David did? David ended up striking down the, the, the assassinators of Ishbosheth. And we saw in him that he's, a, he's going to be a king who is a, a king of justice. So he was a type of Christ. And, and this, we, we see it in a lot of areas. We don't have time to fully unpack it, but we'll start hitting them. One, right there in the beginning, we see marriage language. How do they describe themselves? It says, we are your bone and flesh. Where do we see that in the Bible? Bone and flesh. The book of what? Genesis. With reference to who? Adam and Eve. This is marital language that we're speaking of here. Ephesians 5, as we kind of zoom back out, who's in a marriage relationship with you and I? Besides your spouse, if you're married. With the Lord, it's God. So we start seeing a glimpse that this king that's coming on the scene, is it, it, there's a marital relationship taking place. Second thing we see is shepherd language. He says it right there that, that you are going to be what? The shepherd of my people Israel. Psalm 95 verse 7, listen to what it declares. For he is our God and the, we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Well, if we are his sheep, what does that imply God as? God as shepherd. So it's that language that we're seeing that this, this king that's coming on the scene right now, David, he's a special king. There's this marital relationship that's starting to unfold. There is this shepherding language that we speak of. But then he goes on and says that he is going to be prince over Israel. If he's the prince, that means he is the what of the king? The son of the king. That's the language of God and God's son. It's all of that. There's covenant language here. Does he, what does he do? He enters into a covenant with Israel, and God is going to be the mediator. And not even that is a little bit later as we get into the chapter, the nations are coming to him. We're going to read about a particular nation that comes of Hiram, king of Tyra, is going to come. So we see the nations coming. We go to Revelation. We would see that the nations are going to go to the king. And I think the point I want to make, and we can't spend too much time on it, is when we see David right now, like I said, these are his glory years. We're getting a preview. We're getting a, a this is the trailer for the upcoming movie of Jesus, the, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, are you seeing Jesus in the passage? Are you looking for Jesus? I, I think one of the reasons many Christians do not spend time in the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, is because we feel like it's so outdated. It's so not relevant for today. And, you know, I just need Jesus. Well, friends, Genesis through Revelation, guess what the book's all about? Jesus. Jesus is all over the pages of 2 Samuel because David is a, is a foreshadowing, a preview of what is coming ultimately in Jesus Christ. So he is a type of Christ, but here's the deal, and we've talked about this often. David is not the Christ. Read verse 13 with me. Read verse 13. Seen it again. And David, 
took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the sons of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elisha, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eladia, Elipathlet. What is David doing? What in the world, right? You know, we, we, we know people that collect things, right? Have you, have you known anybody that, man, that's a kind of a weird collection? I was watching a show before and a person collected birdhouses. If you are that, not, not birdhouses, but like bird clocks. So like in his house, he had like tons of, if you are that person, I am not making fun of you. I think that's great. I'm glad you have a hobby. But it's a little odd, a little like, why are you collecting bird clocks? David, what in the world are you doing? He's collecting wives. He's collecting concubines. And I think the reason this is brought in here, because one, those names are going to be significant, but also we need to know, no confusion, the, 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 the Messiah is not on the scene yet. In case we are confused. Because I think we have a tendency as Christians, we exalt spiritual leaders. We exalt people and we, we kind of put them on these pedestals that are unattainable. And the truth of the matter is, David needs Jesus like each and every one of you. And if you don't believe it, right here. Because God warned them about this. When they were entering into the promised land and God was talking to them about one day you're going to have a king. And he said, here's the deal. Your king is going to want to have lots of wives and concubines. And it's going to cause him to have his heart Steered away from me. And we're seeing it unfold right here. And if it's not bad enough, David is going to have a son in Solomon who's going to learn the lesson from his father and he's going to take it up a notch and do the same very thing. John himself, John the Baptist, when he was considered, like people thought he was the Christ, he says, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. You see, we need Jesus. Do you long for Jesus? Do you anticipate the return of Jesus? Every time we go through 2 Samuel and we see the dysfunctionality of David and the unfaithfulness of Israel, it should stir our affections for Christ. Like, man, we, I, I'm so glad that my future, my salvation is not contingent on man. I'm not waiting on the leadership of even God's people. Because at the end of the day, what we need more than anything is King Jesus. So we said this preview in the kingdom, but now let's look at the purpose in the kingdom. Read verse 6 with me. So the king and his men, they went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off thinking. David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, the blind and lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in a stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. We see David as God's instrument. And we see God's enemies being arrogant you see, their, their defenses, defenses can't be beaten. 
You see what the Jebusites are doing. What we would talk about in today's vernacular is they are talking trash. Maybe it's a big fight. Maybe it's a big sporting event. And the other team is laughing at the opponent. Like, there is no way you're going to beat us. Like, this is a joke. Like, the fact that we are even playing you, the fact that we are even fighting you is hysterical. You are so outmatched, so outclassed. And that's the arrogance of the Jebusites, that they had created the city in such a fortified way that they were untouchable. That listen to what they said in their trash talking. The lame and the blind are going to protect us. Bring it on, Israelites. Bring it on, David. You can't do anything. We're going to put the lame out and the blind. If you didn't know, thinking of, think, imagine you're a city and you're being protected, and this is not offensive, but would you want the lame and the blind to be the main protectors of your city? Why not? Well, blind people have a problem when it comes to that, what? They can't see and seeing's kind of important when enemies are coming in. And then the lame, they're, they're likely crippled in some fashion. They can't really act physically against the attacks. And they're saying, yeah, we're going to let them protect us because you have no chance. Well, David, we start seeing David as God's instrument. He's, he has ingenuity. And guess what he finds? That there is a water system that they're able to get water even if the city is under siege from an outside source and it ends up coming in under the city. So what David decides, they kind of do very much like a special forces. They end up going through the water system into the fortified city. They end up taking over the city. And what we see in all this is what? David is their leader now. They have a leader. They have a wise leader Do you remember the context when we started 1 Samuel? The book of Judges. Does anybody remember the the, the slogan, the saying, everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. Well, friends, when we get here, there's a king in Israel. And he's leading them and he's directing them. And notice what it says, he's growing greater and stronger And we're going to see even right here, the nations are coming to him. We even see a fulfillment of God's promises. Genesis 15, 18. This is Abraham, God to Abraham. Listen to what he says. To your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates, the land of the, and he goes through a bunch of names of people that he's giving the land from to Abraham's offspring. And guess what name is in that list? The Jebusites. The Jebusites. You see, this is Abraham promises being fulfilled in the midst of David. God is using David as his instrument. Well, do you see God's promises being fulfilled? Do you see how God uses people, as we've seen, flawed, broken people as his instruments? Look at your own life. Do you see that God is using you as his instrument? Maybe it's in your school. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your workplace. Whatever it is, God's desire, Ephesians says it, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which have been prepared beforehand. So if you're breathing, if you have a heartbeat, and you're a follower of Jesus, guess what you are in God's eyes? One aspect, you're an instrument of his But not only is he's instrument, I want us to see God's intent. Go on to verse 11 with me. 
It says, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. You see what it says? David knows that God did this. David knew it was God's doing. This wasn't David being ambitious. This wasn't David because he's a good-looking guy that we see elsewhere in the Bible. It wasn't because David was talented, because David was a warrior. No, at the end of the day, when David was finally, after all of that long journey from, hey, you're going to be king, to where he actually becomes king, he's able to say, God did this. Paul had this same idea, 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. You see, when God puts you in positions in life, it's about God, not you. It's not about David. It's not about Paul or anyone else. We've talked about it before, but the Copernican Revolution, that was a huge deal because what our, our world believed for so long that the center of the universe was where? Us. And it was this like wake-up call that guess what? The universe did not revolve around the earth. No, it revolves around the sun. And it was huge. And I think there is a, a, a consistent problem amongst us and we, I'll even limit it, let's just so for the sake of our context as Americans, that we think everything revolves around who? Everybody do this. Everybody say it, me. Now it feels kind of guilty saying it, right? Like, but let's be honest, how often do you think like that? Do you act like that? It's, it's all about me. And what does he say even here? He says he knows God has done that, right? And then he goes on, and what else? He says, and that he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. That the kingdom and the kingship was about who? The people rather than the king. Was that countercultural for David? Was that countercultural for the, for the ancient Near East? I mean, remember King Nebuchadnezzar. We talk about him often because he's such a great example of a mess. He builds Babylon. He says, look at the kingdom, what? That I built. My kingdom, my precious. And God is laid in on David's heart that, David, it's not about you. Jesus, he understood this. Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the example of Christ. That life is not about you. It's about Christ. It's about the Lord. It's about others. Why are you too focused on the man or woman or a young person looking in the mirror? Are you Christ-centered? Are you one who serves? Are you here to be served? So we see that in, in our passage today, this chosen king, he's different. He's a preview of, of this coming Jesus. There's a purpose in his kingship that he is about others, about serving, about working for the Lord. But even though these are glory years, they're not problem-free. We see a major conflict that arises with their main nemesis at the time. So let's pick up 
as we read at verse 17. It says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David, but David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And David said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. Let's notice his dependence on the Lord. First of all, i, I have you look later, okay? Verses 1, 10, 12, 19, 23, 25. All of those verses have two Hebrew words in all of them in some capacity. It has the word for David, and it has the word, anybody know? Guess? It's bold in your Bible translation. Four capital letters. What is it? Lord. Does anybody know what Lord means in Hebrew? It's Yahweh. It's Yahweh. It's the the covenant faithful name of God. And we see in the chapter then that there is something going on with David that's unique of David compared to Saul. And what's that? The presence of the Lord is in his life. I mean, you and I, I, I think most of the time we don't like being alone. Now, I understand. I, I know a lot of you. I know there are some personalities here that are a little bit more uh, alone types that don't really necessarily love being in group contexts and settings and are a little bit more, we, we always use the term, introverted. But at the end of the day, there is a need for others. There's a need for relationship. It's, it's kind of scary to be alone. And what we see here with Jesus is he's never alone. Because we see David, because David remembers the type of, of Christ. And with David, what does David have in his presence always? It's the Lord. For Samuel 14, 16, this was Saul. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And I think what we see is the key to this blessing of God's people and God's kingdom is God's presence in the midst. And isn't that the truth for you and I? What is special about us as followers of Christ? That God does what to us? He, he lives and dwells within us. Ephesians 1.13 it says, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And that's the key to David. That's one of his secrets, as we talked about last week, of his success is the fact that God is in his life. That the Lord is in his life. He is faithfully walking with the Lord. That's why in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For your rod and they staff, they comfort me. You are with me. My God walks with me. Friends, do you find comfort in that? That God walks with you, that God's presence is with you. I think it's something that we just take for granted. It's something that you and I just don't appreciate as much as we should. That the God who said, let there be light and there was light is personal and intimate and real with you. That he is with you. That no matter if your family leaves you, if your friends leave you, you are never alone. Paul says, nothing in all of creation can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. My Lord, would you celebrate 
that presence of God in your life. But not only the presence, notice in the midst of the presence, yet he still does what? He pursues the Lord. Look at what he said. He, he goes to God. He inquires of Yahweh, shall I go up? Will you give them into my hand. You see, it's not simply that God is present in their life. He also wants to know what God wants to have happen. He wants his opinion. And that's weird for us because a lot of times we don't want people's opinions, right? Who here loves backseat drivers? Everybody raise your hand, right? I love when people are front seat drivers if it's your spouse. My wife's in children's church, so I can say that. Like, I'm like, I'm like, man, I was like, man, we got a high-end van because it actually tells me when to slow up. It tells me when to turn. It tells me you're running too close. Tells me you need to be paying attention better. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's just a Kia. And its voice is my wife. Like, how did that, how did that happen? I think it's easy because we do. We kind of like independence we don't necessarily like people's opinions. We get frustrated when people give their opinions. When people are like, hey, I don't like that. And I'm like, oh, thanks. I forgot to ask you. Well, God is present in our life. And he desires you and I to ask. He wants you and I. He's, he's commanded you and I to seek his wisdom. To seek his counsel. We saw that with, with Saul. Saul got to the point where David, where God was no longer speaking to him. So what did he do? He sought help elsewhere. He went to the witch of Endor and it was a mess. God does not want you and I to be self-sufficient or independent. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Well, where do you need God's guidance this morning? What is going on in your life on a personal level that, man, you need God to give you some clarity? Maybe it's a decision you need to make. Maybe it's a situation you need wisdom on how do I respond? How do I handle that? God wants you to do that. And isn't, remark isn't it remarkable that God is here not only for you to go to, but to answer you? That it's not just you and I kind of on our own, good luck. But we have God. The God who will guide and direct us. So we see his dependence, but then lastly, let's see his declaration for the Lord. Read verse 20 with me. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a, broke, like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Berzim, and the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his man, men carried them away. Notice that he acknowledges God. What is David? Who does God, who does David give credit for the victory? It's really simple. What does he say? Yahweh has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood flood. It was him. I mean, we've watched award shows. You've attended award shows. People get up there, they get the award, and then what do they do? They thank everybody. Thank you, mom and dad, for believing in me. Thank you, friends. Thank you, this person. Thank you, that person. Just kind of go through. 
and, you know, some people will start it off. I just want to thank God. I want to thank my Lord. That's what David does here. He doesn't take credit. He doesn't plagiarize. He's not delusional in his own ability or power. And I think that's important because David is on a, uh, an uprise right now. If you remember, it was either last week or the week before. One of the things it said that all of, that Israel loved everything he did. That they, they, they loved everything that David did. So what would have been possible for David for his head to do what? To swell, get big. And we're going to see a little bit of that later with David. But he knew, he realized that ultimately victory was because of God. It wasn't because of his abilities. It wasn't because of his appearance, his, uh, his dynamic personality. Second Chronicles 2015, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Friends, your victories, your defeats, your successes, your failures, they are tied to God's hand. Don't confuse it. Don't confuse it. Don't, don't believe the lies of the evil one. When you have a success, don't start patting yourself on the back. Don't hurt your shoulders by twisting. You know what I mean? Understand that it's God. Acknowledge God. Give God the credit. But not only does he acknowledge God, he acts towards God. Continue on to verse 22. So the Philistines, they came up again, and they spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, you should not go up. Go around to the rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. Notice what he does. He inquires of God. God gives him his answer. Then what does he do? He acts. He obeys. He, he, he doesn't just act out of formality. He doesn't just simply go through the motions. He asks God. He hears from God. He answers with, okay, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I'll do. It's important because that's what God wants. It's not, it's not just formality that we ask God. Did you pray about it? So you pray about it. God gives you a leading in one direction. You're like, okay, that's, that's one idea. It's one possibility, God. We've, we've had to deal with this, and he's getting better at it. So my son at junior high level, he's our quarterback on the junior high football team. Uh, he had to get put in because uh, one of our very own broke his leg, and he got kind of thrown into the position. So he's quarterbacking, but one particular game, he likes to go rogue. And what I mean by that is our, I don't call the offense. My friend Jake is the offensive coach, and he's the head coach. And he would call a play, and Josh would get out there, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to do something different. And it happened like three or four times. And he scored touchdowns on it, and I was like, so it worked out. He's like, yeah, but I thought. I'm like, but, 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 but. I was like, all right, you, under some situations in football, if you're familiar with football, things break down, and you got to kind of improvise. Play did not break down when he improvised. He saw a touchdown, and that was like, that's more my play. And so we've, and he's worked on it. He's gotten better as the seasons went on that he, he stays in the design of the offense. If the coach says, run this, he runs that. And I think too many of us are running audibles with God. 
we kind of do our own thing because we have our own agenda. We have our own idea. We ask God often just out of formality's sake. We really don't care what God says. And, and that's not David here. It's, it's, it's really beautiful. He's, he's a James 1 guy. James 1.25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He does what God says. Who is he so unlike in the history of the kings of, that we just got used to in 1 Samuel? What king is he like, not like David? He's not like Saul. God told Saul, do this, and what would Saul do? The opposite hey, I want you to get rid of all the animals. I want you to destroy them all. And Saul did what? He kept them all. Like that's just, so David, we finally have a king that obeys and does. And I think unfortunately the church is probably filled with a little too many Saul's and not enough David's. We live in a day, we live in an age of compromise. We view God's words as suggestions rather than commands. We ask God for wisdom and advice, and when he gives us the wisdom and advice, we go rogue and use our own wisdom and advice. And that's not good, friends. God wants us to obey. God wants us to acknowledge him and then act accordingly. I remember this commercial. I don't know why. Certain commercials, I'm 46, over the years, stand out. Uh, the one I'm remembering was from 1987, so I'd have been about 11 years old when it was out. It was H.J. Uh, Heinz Company, ketchup. You remember their slogan? The best things come to those who wait. If you know how the commercial went, the reason it says the best things come to those who wait is back in the old days, because I'm, I'm dating myself, we didn't have squeeze bottles. You had this glass bottle of ketchup, and Heinz ketchup, especially back then, was thick. So you would take the lid off, you'd get it out to have your french fries or put it on your hamburger, and you would turn it, and what would happen? Paint would dry. And you would just watch the ketchup slowly and steadily, eventually. Uh, I got to the point where I would just always jam a butter knife in and just there'd be a mess all over. My, wife, my mom would be like, what are you doing? There's ketchup everywhere. I was like, I'm not waiting because I, I don't believe their slogan. Best things come to those that wait, whatever. I want it now. Friends, some things are worth waiting for. And we see that in today's passage. It's been a long wait for David. He's been on the run. His life has been hanging in the balance. He has had so many opportunities to hit fast forward. So many times he could have taken advantage of the situation, killed off Saul, became king years earlier, but he wanted God's will, God's way. And what we see happening when we do that is God's promises come to fruition in God's time. And what we see in all of this is this is what is possible when God is at the center. When God's people are led by God's king, when God's people are dwelling in unity, when God's people are walking closely with the Lord, when God's people are obeying his commands, we get chapter 5 of 2 Samuel. And it's beautiful. Like I said, these are the glory years of David, and they're going to feel pretty short. 
but they truly are a glimpse of heaven. It's a preview of what is possible today when God's people walk with him. And it's also a glimpse of what the future is going to hold. We're going to sing it now. We're going to wrap up uh, with a song like we do. But I just want to focus in on some of the lyrics of what we're going to see. And we, last week was the first week we sang the song. It's called Hymn of Heaven. Oh, there will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with he who died and rose again, holy, holy is the Lord. And on that day, we will join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith. And I love this lyric, with one voice, a thousand generations. Think of that. Think of all the generations of people who have ever existed and lived on this earth. We are going to be there singing in unison. Like we're going to sing in this smaller group today. And it, it's really for me, I love hearing congregational singing. I love this morning when we're singing, holy, holy is the Lord. It was great just hearing all these voices. Some people are really good singers. Some people are me. And we can sing well, though, there's a group because we're, we're singing. And listen to what the lyric says. We're going to sing with one voice a thousand generations. Sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And until that day, may we walk close with him as we see his plan unfold all around us. Even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of trials and tribulation, adversity, may we see a glimpse of heaven on earth as we walk close with him. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now. We acknowledge that often we look at this world, we look at this life, we complain. We uh, see all that is wrong with this world. We uh, don't appreciate those days that truly are ideal and special. But God, we ask that you would, one, continue to remind us that this is not our home, that there will be a glorious day that awaits. We pray in the meantime that we would be a people who really strive to walk uh, in unison with you, walk in unity with your people, that we would be those that obey and trust you. And we so look forward to heaven. Until that day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stay.